Good afternoon. Okay. We were um, joking at the start that when I preach, not, not, not many people come. I say we, it was actually Matty who made the comment. Uh, it's quite upsetting, to be honest. Um, but I'm glad for your lack of punctuality. <laughs> As I turned around here, we went from around seven or eight people to multitudes, we say, for Liberty Church, so it's wonderful. Um, but it's great to have you with us. If you are visiting as well, you are so welcome. Uh, to be here um, this afternoon. Um, we are in a series through the book of Colossians, um, looking at chapter 2, verses 6 to 15 this afternoon. So um, if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to be in that pa- uh, passage um, as we walk through again this next stage of our series, um, looking at <coughs> Paul's letter uh, to the church here in Colossae. I want to start with a, um, straight in with a question. Um, rhetorical, I should add. I need your responses. But let's take this question in as we consider um, this passage. So, do you count it? If you, this is for if you're a believer as well. Uh, if you put your faith in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as your saviour. Do you count it as joy when you're persecuted in the name of Jesus? Or do you, con- do you continue to walk with him in light of who he is, uh, his promises that he's made, even when the world around you around me spins a different narrative um big question as a bigger question will be for us a more challenging question would be are we persecuted do we actually receive persecution uh because of the name of jesus around our workplaces around our neighborhoods around our families um do we actually experience that um but more of a telling question but you see the concepts we're we're, uh, looking into here is the Apostle Paul, and we know Paul, if, if, if we've listened to uh, the last, obviously, few se- uh, sermons in this series, uh, or any of the letters that he's written, we know that Paul was preached the gospel, unapologetically unapolog- preached the gospel. And we know this often landed him in trouble, didn't it? Um, and it was, um, actually, he was imprisoned multiple times, um, persecuted physically, spiritually, emotionally, in many, many ways. But Paul wasn't influenced by all the voices that were around him in the culture that he was living uh, and ministering to. Um, voices that wanted to lead people astray, voices that would tell a different uh, truth, as it were, or narrative. But Paul was steadfast in his conviction to preach Christ crucified, to preach the gospel, um, even at the expense of his physical freedom. Um, rather than breaking down or giving up in his ministry, um, Paul actually goes a lot deeper than that and interprets these sufferings as actually he's participating in the sufferings of Christ. And therefore, these hardships that he's facing, he actually views as a joy rather than uh, something to make him waver or doubt or move from the person of uh, Jesus. And as we said, the context of Paul's writing from is that he's currently in prison. He's in prison in Rome. Um, Why is he in prison? For preaching the gospel, for, again, unapologetically proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord amongst the Greeks and the Romans. And of course, they didn't like that. Um, and he ended up um, being placed in prison. Um, but and that, that's the kind of context that Paul's writing from, from a position of um, persecution. The church in Colossae, Paul uh, didn't actually plant, which is unusual, uh, as he's obviously a church planter. Uh, but this church himself, uh, he didn't, he didn't um, visit the church personally. He didn't know the people personally, apart from... Uh, the leader there, um, I know we've looked at it the last couple of times, but looking at 
um, the leader of the church in Colossae was called Epaphras. And he went to visit Paul in prison and told Paul of all the great things um, that the church uh, members were doing there, how they were steadfast in their faith, how they loved Jesus, how they loved one another and were seeking to minister to the uh, community around them. But he also shared of the concerns that he had. It's just natural, isn't it? He shared how there was people in the church who were trying to tell a different narrative, um, a cultural narrative that actually was not in line with the gospel, um, very much looking at Jesus being um, a God, but not the only way to salvation. And this concerned Epaphras, and it certainly um, concerned Paul, because we know that Paul is very fervent, isn't he, in, in making sure that people are following Christ and Christ alone. And that's our serious title, isn't it, at the moment, that the gospel is all about Jesus and putting your faith in him alone and following him, even in the face of all the cultural pressure and pressure from people around at that time. Um, and it riled Paul up. Paul knows that, that you know, he, he, his custom is to encourage and to share the good news of Christ and, and people come to faith and churches are established. And then he wants them to go on and grow in their love for God, grow in their love for one another and growing their, their faith and their um, commitment to following the Lord. So when people come in, they take away from that. You know, we know from Paul's character, um, again, his conversion story, he was a hater of Christians. He was a, somebody who wouldn't back down from a fight. He was somebody who physically uh, tormented and persecuted and killed Christians. And I like to believe that even though he was saved, he had a bit of fire uh, still in him when it came to protecting uh, the integrity of the gospel. Um, and we see, don't we, <coughs> in the first part of this lesson we looked at a few uh, weeks ago, that Paul writes and exalts the name of Jesus. And he wants them to, to know exactly uh, who Jesus is um, and why they put their faith in him. Through chapter one, we've seen, I'm just going to read out a few things because I think it's so important to ground our time in these truths. So we'll know from chapter one that Paul tells the uh, church in Colossae that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Um, they say that by all things were created, by him, sorry, all things were created in heaven and on earth. That he was before all things and in, in him all things hold together. Um, Jesus is the head of the church, the head of the body of which we are, if we are believers. Uh, in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In verse 20 of chapter 1, it says that he, was, he came to reconcile himself to all things on earth and in heaven. And he's reconciled us if we believe in him. Um, even hostile, evil sinners, he's, he's uh, reconciled us to himself by his death. Um, and why has he done this? To present us holy and blameless and above reproach. And Paul is painting a really clear picture, isn't he, here, of how supreme, how amazing the Lord Jesus is. Um, and in our passage this afternoon, what we come to is actually, we come from um, this period where Paul was explaining and reminding the church of what God has done for them in Christ Jesus, uh, to calling them uh, to act in a certain way, to implement uh, something in the way that they seek to, uh, to live. That's the purpose of our time uh, in this passage this afternoon. Um, Paul very much is writing to address the cultural pressures that are facing the church, um, pressures that brought provocation um, 
to them and attempted to move them and steer them away from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Important for us to recognise here that it's right into a context of relatively new believers. So people who actually have grown up worshipping pagan gods, worshipping idols um, who they believed would bring some kind of blessing to them. So what was really um, horrific, to be honest, but subtle and clever by those false teachers where they were taken, not denouncing Jesus completely, but reminding them of their pagan ways and saying, yes, Jesus is okay, uh, he's fine. But also you must do this. Also, you can actually worship this God as well. Um, and really diluting the kingship uh, and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, confusing the, the, the Christians there who needed solid discipleship, of, of, of which I'm sure they were receiving through Epaphras and others there, but there was a, a portion within that church who were steering away and moving them away from the truth in Jesus. And that is why Paul is writing. That is the concern that he had for them as a church. Um, and again, Paul is very keen, isn't he, in all of his letters that he's written to the churches that have been established to, to get down again to the basics of reminding them of the gospel. And that is exactly uh, what he does here. He's calling all believers to withstand the deceit that they find in the world, to, to move through the other voices and the other um, narratives that move away from the Lord Jesus. And they, he wants them to walk closely uh, with him. So if we read our passage together uh, and then we'll pray and we'll carry on uh, looking at it. So Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 6 to 15. It says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built, built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Uh, Father God, we just pray um, just thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true uh, and that we can really um, trust it and know that in this world of, of chaos and different narrative that we can trust that your word is, is true, Lord. And it's something for us to build our lives upon, particularly if we know you. Um, so we pray that you just really help us in the next few uh, moments, Lord, just to really um, have confidence in what you're saying to us in your word and know that when you call us in to, to act or do something father that you do it um in love and you've given us your holy spirit to help us uh, in that as well
So Spirit, we pray, just bless our time. Uh, be with us. Uh, make this clear to us, we pray. Uh, help, help us to be uh, built up in, in the time that we have now, uh, looking, looking at the, your, your word, Father God. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, so, again, looking at this passage here, starts with the word, therefore, um, which is helpful, isn't it? Because what that means is that Paul has written something, said something, and it's now... Uh, what he wants to the church to do is to is to act or implement something, um, and he's also telling them why they should be doing that, and that's the confidence that they have. Again, what what's preceded this passage here um, is um, how great Jesus is, all that He has done for them. It's easier, isn't it, to do something for someone when you know how much they've done for you? Uh, maybe it's just me. I don't know, um, but particularly in the context of relationships, isn't it? That when you're reminded of how great a person is and, and all they've done um, for you, um, it becomes a, a greater experience than to respond to what they've done uh, and, and, and doing something for them. And that's what Paul uh, seeks to do here to the church in Colossae. Remind them of how great Jesus is uh, and calls them into a response um, here. Uh, and the main kind of thread of our, our passage is... Right at the beginning there in verse 6 and 7, I'll remind you of it again. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The kind of focus for us is that Paul's encouraging the church here to walk closely with Jesus, not succumbing to the <coughs> false teachers, to these ideas that are coming outside of the church in or even from within the church, um, but they're really um, calling them to focus steadfastly, um, regardless of their circumstance, on who Jesus is and what he has done. Um, and he does this for three reasons. Firstly, because he reminds them or tells them they're filled with Christ. He then tells them they're raised with Christ. And then he tells them they are alive with uh, Christ. Um, and these people, as, as we've talked about, are living in the context or a culture of idolatry and paganism. Um, they're finding um, their pursuit of meaning within different deities, different gods. Um, and there's a real pressure uh, for the believers in the time, don't forget young Christians as well, to conform to those uh, and almost to move away from their newfound faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, living in the context and, and, and the, the tension, really, uh, of the church of Jesus and on other religions, other ideals that they once knew uh, and their context within the, within the church as well. So really kind of confusing perhaps for some of those believers that Paul is then obviously writing to now to uh, remind them again of the gospel. Um, but they were their trials and their temptations and, and we perhaps possibly struggle to relate to that in our context today. So I'll be having a little think about, you know, what are our... Um, temptations, what are our trials? So, you know, as, as believers, uh, as God's people, um, and there's a lot, I suppose, that the world tries to narrate to us. There's a lot of voices uh, in, in the world, some louder than others, uh, that try and influence our thinking as Christians. Um, and this is not an exhaustive list, but just a few things. What a big one is relationships. If that's romantic relationships, whether that's family relationships, um, there's a real narrative that we need to be loved. And we need to love others. Um, we need to be married. We need to have a family. We need to um, have really, really close friends to have some kind of meaning and purpose. Um, 
then one which we're going to have to um, get used to, parenting techniques. So much pressure on the world of how you should raise a child, how they can become your legacy, um, your you know, the generation to come from that, um, <coughs> how you discipline them, what routines you may have. Um, lots of, of, of thinking. We actually had a, a Zoom yesterday morning for two hours. It was lovely. Um, about sleep patterns of babies. Um, yeah, it was... Georgina will fill you in after the service if you want to know the details. Um, but again, you know, someone who's paid thousands and thousands of pounds to put pressure on us of how to raise a child. Um, another big narrative is around independence, isn't it? So we live in a world where people are called to be themselves, whether it's their gender, sexuality, feminism. Building a life for yourself and standing on your own two feet is a real pressure that um, the world tells us um, that we need to live by and, and figure out and it's good for us to do those things i think as well security and comfort kind of go together don't they um so earning more money i know if, if, if we all had enough money um to live on um and be comfortable with that that would be something which is really uh, important for us and would, would lead to peace and happiness um again education is a big one isn't it? a career progression so a massive um voice that says you need to learn all these new things and then go and get a job which pays you more. Um, and, and, you know, we, we are living in the context as Christians in this, in this world that is constantly infiltrating our televisions, radios, on the way to work perhaps, the conversations we have with people around us. Um, and it's, you know, they're, they're, they're things, I think, which are genuine pressures that we face in a similar way that can move us away from who Jesus is and... and, and away from that closeness in a, that relationship uh, with him. They're things that, if we let them, um, can become louder and louder. And they are, they are false teachers, aren't they, of our time. No one's going to come into this church and tell you that you need to trust in Jesus and be circumcised. Okay, that's a reassuring for you. Um, no one's going to tell you that you have to put trust in Jesus, but also you must read the Bible every day for a year, because we know that, how hard that is. Um, but there are going to be voices, whether it's inside the church or those coming in, uh, again, us going out and, and, and living in the world, that are going to be really, really prevalent for us and that are going to take us away potentially, of the, of the potential to take us away from the person and the work of, of the Lord Jesus and, and impact our time, our money, our emotions, our worship. Things are uh, prevalent for us in that way. It's really, really important for us to... Recognise that, and you may have different ideas as well in your minds now, thinking, yeah, there's these things as well which are, are, are tipping me away from a relationship or a closer relationship with, with Christ. And, and, and they're the kind of things, I think, which are, uh, are things that we're looking at in terms of the pressures that we can face. So um, how does Paul address this with, with the church here? Um, don't forget, he's trying to write to encourage them and remind them um, of who they are in the gospel and lead them back to that place in order to allow them to walk closely with Jesus. So the first thing, um, three, three things briefly to, to touch on is this, that, we're f- that, that he's telling them that, that they are filled with him. So verse nine and 10 says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Again, Paul has outlined the supremacy of Jesus. The preeminence, he's outlined all the truths, um, his glory, his sacrifice, his love for his people. He exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, lifts him up, leads them back to the truth of who he is. And he, then he reminds them that they're filled with him. 
um, filled with Christ, with his spirit, his truth. And therefore, they should live this life with no fear or hesitation, uh, following Jesus, walking closely with him, despite what the culture is telling them about needing something more uh, than the Lord Jesus. Again, like we, for us as well, there's no need for them to listen and tune in to that cultural narrative that Jesus wasn't enough. Um, there's no need for them to worship other gods um, or be taken away from the truth of who Jesus is. Um, and here, not only did Paul remind them, but Paul, we know that he gives examples, doesn't he? The very time that Paul reminded them that Jesus is enough, where is he? He's in prison. He's writing to them from a place of, of, of physical and earthly depravity, uh, shackled up, um, but still with absolute joy, is reminding them um, of his faith in the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection. And, and actually they were filled uh, with them, wanting them to walk, wanting to walk with them through this as well. Um, and remind them of that, of that first salvation that they received, the truths that they first believed, um, clinging to that hope that they have. Um, and it was hard. Um, uh, probably the, the most well, personal example I can give what that might what might, that might look like is is our situation. So those of you that know us know that we um, have had a, a tough ride trying to have a baby, um, a baby that we've been longed for, we've desired for a long time, it's been a painful uh, journey from failed fertility to um, miscarriages, losing a baby as well. Um, and you know, if we're honest, then those of you that walked through that with us, you'll know that it did feel quite hopeless at times. It's you know, to people looking in, particularly those family and friends that didn't know Jesus, would use phrases like "it's not fair," you know, "you don't deserve this." Um, and there were moments for us, wasn't there? Really difficult moments, um, sad moments, where the only the only thing that really got us through was the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge and the love of Jesus, um, how he saved us, how he's leading us, how he loves us, um, and how we are filled with him. Um, there were times when it made no sense. There were times when I don't know, people may have experienced similar sufferings when it makes no sense at all in, a, in an earthly way. And the only thing you can do to move through is be reminded and remind yourself um, of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. You know, he's the one who's also experienced pain, experienced suffering, um, you know, and we're in a, in a position now where, praise the Lord, we've got a, a baby coming. Uh, in a, if they say praise the Lord, it's always praise the Lord. Um, it's really, really, really difficult, I'm sure, um, to adapt to the change, but one which would praise God for, um, and I know as well, you guys as a church have really loved us uh, through, through that as well. Um, but when we're thinking about a practical Example is it? it's those kind of moments there when, when we're, we're in, in the depths of despair um, and it's what does it look like to be able to um, recognise that we are filled with Jesus. Those moments of, of sadness, of, of sorrow are the moments actually I think, uh, my experience is when actually, you know, we feel <coughs> the tangible spirit of God within us who leads us and reminds us um, of, of what he has done for us in the Lord Jesus. And while there's no promises, you know, of, of those blessings that we just spoke of there, you know, he keeps us, he holds us there and allows us and, and enables us to walk with him through those and walk closely um, in, in, those, in those moments. And, um, you know, this, this is something which 
that might not be an example that you've experienced, but you'll experience different trials. And in those trials, when you are um, seeking comfort, you're seeking answers, you're seeking um, support from somewhere, this is where Paul again is imploring us, as he did the church in Colossae, to continue to remind ourselves of who God is and what he has done. Um, the Lord Jesus died for us, was raised to life, and now through his spirit indwells us, leading us again to places where we can trust him, um, not just in this life, but of course in, in the time to come when we, we will be with him for uh, an eternity. Um, and these are all wonderful things, things which we you know it's great for us to be able to, um, you know, re- really focus on to get us through um, those moments. So we are filled with Christ. This is what, what Paul's reminding the church here, they are filled with him. The next one is they are raised with him. So we look at verse 11 and 12. It says this, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, you know, baptism is a wonderful picture, isn't it? We had the baptism, didn't we, a few weeks ago? Um, still getting so cold from that, that water, wasn't it, at the time? Which we were, we were conned there because we were told that was nice and warm and it wasn't, was it? Um, but it's a wonderful picture um, of a believer being brought from death to life and I think sometimes it's sad that we only see it as a picture but actually when we think about what it represents um, and this these verses here tell us that we were before we knew Jesus we were spiritually dead alienated from God hostile towards him we're an enemy of God rejecting him his perfect rule Um, and yet now because if we put our faith in Christ we're filled with him then we've gone from that death to eternal life Um, and that it blows your mind, doesn't it? In the sense that we, well, there's nothing we can do in our own strength with that. But that God has taken us from a position of spiritual, eternal death to eternal life uh, with him. Uh, and this picture here kind of really helps us see that. We see the death and resurrection of Jesus, that in his death, he took upon all of our sin. And in his resurrection, he defeated that sin for eternity. And now being raised to life, you know, he's enabled us as well, if we have faith, faith in Jesus, to live uh, forever with him in the new creation. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but there's nothing, I think, I know, that the world can offer us that is better than that. Is there? You know, there shouldn't be anything that, that, you know, that we can um, think of now that's better than to receive eternal life and be with God and Jesus uh, and his church for an eternity. Yet sometimes... You know, when we think about um, that concept, then we're like, yeah, well, you know, it's okay. Um, you know, I get to live forever in the creation, like that's, that's good. But then I also, you know, quite like footy, um, quite like watching Netflix. I quite like using my time to spend going out eating at restaurants. Um, and I think that's, you know, these, these things can come into our, our thinking here where we, we have been raised with Christ. The reality is that our, once, once being dead in our sin, um, now that we're alive in him and that we've been raised with him, and I think it's really, really good, isn't it, through his Holy Spirit to, to remind ourselves of that. So <coughs> that would lead us then to, to not listen to things that the world tells us is more fulfilling or better or going to satisfy more, but actually we remind ourselves 
that, that God has brought us from that position of death to life. And that is our motivation. That should be uh, our joy to, to walk closely uh, with him um, in that as well. And again, Paul is calling his church to walk closely. Um, again, knowing that anything that, that these other voices are telling them um, around Jesus and something else are false and that everything that the, the gospel tells us about receiving an inheritance and, and being with God forever in the new creation far outweighs anything, anything else. Um, so we're filled, they're filled with him, they're raised with him and finally they are alive with him. Verse 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I mean, sometimes when you're up in this situation, you read the word and you think there's nothing else that you need to say, is there, um, than what God says himself through his word. Um, but again here, Paul is reminding the church in Colossae um, who they were before they knew Christ. They were dead. They had no hope, heading to a lost eternity of pain and suffering and the absence of, of God. Um, but thanks, thanks be to God that that wasn't the situation that, that, that they were left in. Um, because we know, don't we, if we know Jesus, that God gave of his son for us to be able to have um, this life that his word uh, speaks about. And that is, um, that's, you know, that's where we see the gospel in action, that, you know, God's made us alive. And not just alive, but alive together with him. Um, we've been forgiven of all our trespasses, uh, cancelling the record of debt, and he's nailed it to the cross. Um, it should fill us with absolute comfort and hope to know that no matter what we experience, no matter what, this world offers or tries to um, distort and confuse with, that nothing can be better or take the place of what the Lord Jesus uh, has done for us. And it's very, very powerful imagery, isn't it? Um, I think when you lose a loved one, so when someone who you care about dies, you'd do anything to bring them back. I know I would. Um, you know, when we had those two pregnancies, I'd do anything for them to have worked. Um, my grandparents passed away. There's nothing I wouldn't have done to bring them back to a position of, of being alive again, but I know I couldn't. And that's, that's the reality, isn't it, of, of, of death. It's so painful and sad because it's final. There's nothing that can be done medically or physically when someone's dead. Um, and it just ends up leaving a sense of hopelessness and sadness. Um, and that is, you know, the state of the world outside of the knowledge of God. In their rejection, um, the Bible obviously, obviously says here, doesn't it, that they were dead in their trespasses. We were once dead in our trespasses and our sins. Um, nothing that we could do to rectify that situation. Um, I've mentioned this before a few times, but often watch uh, documentaries or, or crime dramas and they always take you down to the morgue, don't they? Um, yeah, and um, there's a, a twinge of fascination and fear and all that stuff. But, um, you know, those moments, isn't it, where you see dead people that have been dead for a while uh, on the table <coughs> and they're just lifeless, um, being used as um, 
what is it, investigation, uh, experimentation, whatever, uh, apart from the one that kind of isn't actually dead and just jolts out of nowhere. Makes uh, it ten times worse, doesn't it? But um, they cannot be brought back to life when they are dead. Um, and, we, and we know that. And this is why I think, again, it's just to hammer home the message here that that was us in a spiritual state. Before we knew God, we were headed for an eternity where there's nothing we could have done ourselves uh, to, to correct that or to change that. Um, and it's the point in closing that Paul is getting at here uh, with them is, is he's reminding them of what God has done for them, where he's brought them from, from death, made them alive together with him, cancelled their sin, cancelled their debt, nailed it to the cross. And therefore what's he doing is calling them to walk with him, to walk with Jesus, not to be, um, again, taken away with other things in, in life, the relationships, the comfort, financial security, um, football, family, whatever it might be, which, which people are you know, processing in terms of things that can, those voices that speak to us and, and, and move us away from, from the Lord. Um, but actually there's nothing more important than our relationship with God in and through what the Lord Jesus uh, has done. Um, and Paul calls them, and he calls us to walk closely with Jesus. Uh, we're standing all the false narratives that the world tells us um, because we have a saviour who saved us, who's given of himself. Um, uh, and that is our prayer. That is my prayer. It's amazing news, isn't it? You know, that we've been brought from death to life. Um, the church here, that they've been reminded that Jesus is enough, that it's Christ alone who saves them. That is the, the gospel. Uh, and as Paul calls them here, it's the same thing. We want to be a people who forsake everything else in the world, uh, that see a relationship with the Lord Jesus and walking with him um, so wonderful and beautiful and desirable uh, and not an afterthought, um, that when we go through situations of pain and suffering, yes, the human side will bring around sadness and, and, and struggle, but they're the moments that we, we recognise that we're filled with Christ that he's raised us from the dead, that he knows our pain, he knows our struggle. Um, and the call there, isn't it, is to keep walking uh, closely uh, with him. So, in, well, we've finished there. I want to pray. And as a prayer, I want to just encourage us to, to think that through, to, to really, really be prayerful um, about areas of our lives where, where perhaps those voices are louder, that, that we don't quite trust Jesus enough in those areas um, or desire him enough. Um, and let's commit those to the Lord and, and just again like Paul's prayer for the church here is that you know from now from tomorrow morning as we, as we go in into, into work that our priority is to really walk with Jesus um, and actually when we hear those voices from the world and those are in other narratives that actually we know we can stand firm in the truth um, that there's none better than a relationship with the Lord Jesus let's pray